0: is no one else worthy of praise. And God, it's, it's right and fitting for your people to gather on the Lord's Day, the day that your Son, Jesus Christ, triumphantly defeated Satan, sin, and death and rose from the grave. Lord Jesus, of course, death could not keep you down. You are the author of life. Holder and keeper of eternal life. Thank you for achieving salvation for us that that we can turn to you and be saved. I pray this morning that your people are built up, that your church gets active in making disciples in this house, in this place, and in this town, and in the world. God, may may you be so pleased to move on your people today, to move in my heart, to move on this church, to be active in helping each other follow you. God, I trust in you, I need you, and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Yes. Thank God for the worship team. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Can we thank them? That was really great. Sorry about the technical difficulty of the words. We'll work that out for next week. But uh, thanks for, for still going forward. Um, good morning. And uh, our mission statement of, of Redemption City Church is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's our mission statement. And two weeks ago I talked about how uh, it's not so much that the church is on mission, it's that God created a, a church for his mission. Uh, we are we are on uh, in God's mission to spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We are to proclaim the excellencies, the beauty, the glory of our God and And God expects us to do that in the Great Commission, taking his name to all nations. Our obedience to this mission is the very foundation of Redemption City Church. And and it will be the foundation for every ministry to come. Making disciples uh, is the aim of our worship ministry, our children's ministry, our student ministry, our adult ministries, our biblical soul care ministries. Missions and outreach, making disciples is the foundation of all of them, and any other ministry that we add to our number in the future will be based upon, does this help us glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission? Our chief aim is to make authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, who in turn make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the goal, that is the mission. Listen, by Jesus, every Christian is expected to make disciples. By Jesus, every Christian is expected to make disciples. I want that to soak in. Uh, As your pastor, I want you to wrestle with the fact that God expects this of us to help each other follow Jesus Christ. That is a part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every Christian is to be about making disciples. Every Christian ought to take seriously the last instructions that Jesus gave the church before he ascended into heaven, where he is at his heavenly session praying for his church. He's preparing a place for his church. And before he left, he said, make disciples of all nations. That is what he wants us to be about. We need to take that seriously. And if you ever hear the argument, but the Bible only says that one time, well, it doesn't just say that one time. It says it in multiple places, but how many times does God have to say something for his church to take it, love it, and live it? God only has to say things one thing. It it is God's will that we give all of our effort to see others conformed into the image of Christ through our teaching, through our example in life, our loving shepherding of each other's souls, our faith-filled prayers for one another. Give your life. Give your life to making disciples. Give your life to making disciples. And this will be a life well lived. We believe wholeheartedly as a church the priesthood of all the saints, Exodus 19, 2 Peter chapter 2, 5 through 9. As we learned last week, every believer has given, have, has been given the ministry of reconciliation, which is also known as communicating the gospel. We've all been given this ministry of reconciliation, that there's a world that is not reconciled to God. The greatest need of every person on the planet is to be reconciled to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first step in the go in the Great Commission, to go share the gospel. And then when people respond, because we know they will, because God has promised to save a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, then we disciple them. In the Great Commission, Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples that are in turn to also make disciples. Well, how do I know that? Well, Jesus' kingdom is to keep advancing until his second coming. And he hasn't come yet. Um, In the book of Acts, the, the... it ends with the gospel going to the end of the world, as they thought, Rome itself. But we know there are tribes, nations, and tongues that are without Jesus, that Jesus intends to save a portion of. So his kingdom is not done advancing yet. And Jesus didn't just tell them, or us for that matter, exactly how to do it, he just said, Go and teach them to observe and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So wisely, Jesus did not give us a step-by-step process because Jesus knew that there are going to be churches in every culture across time that they're going to have to apply biblical principles to their church. I believe it's God's will for every church to have a path of discipleship on how do we make disciples. And that's what series, that's the series we have been in for the last few weeks? How do we make disciples at Redemption City Church? It's not the way, it's a way. I want you to study this path of discipleship deeply. Uh, There's a card on your chair, on some of them. Share with your neighbor. Uh, And we'll make new ones because it says commit to Redeemer. It should say Redemption City. Uh, So we'll get new ones made, but the principle still stands, okay? Okay. Commit to your local church is one of the steps of the path of discipleship. Please do not see this document as cold, distant, but highly relevant one that influences the steps that you take in your own discipleship and how you discipleship others. The goal is that you will use the path of discipleship regularly and discuss it regularly in your life group. And today is the last week of our Path of Discipleship series. And I wanted to start our church off with this sermon series because there's, is there anything more important in our lives than knowing how to follow Jesus more faithfully and helping other people follow Jesus more faithfully? I don't think so. I don't think so. I want this path to be so ingrained in our church that you know what steps you need to take to follow Jesus and know how to help other people follow Jesus. How do you know if you're growing as a Christian? Is it all measurable? No. There's this beautiful mystery in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you cannot measure the movements that the Holy Spirit takes in your soul sometimes. He's changing you. He's transforming you. And sometimes it goes unnoticed by you. But there are some things that you can know That God's will is for you whether you're doing them or not. You can know if you're reading your Bible or not. You can know if you're praying or not. You can know if you're communicating the gospel or not. You can know if you are actively pursuing others to follow Jesus. You you can know those things and you you know they are God's will for us. And so we don't want to take all the mystery out of discipleship by putting it on a card because. The activity of the Holy Spirit is essential, as we'll talk about later. But I don't want it to be such a mystery that you don't know what it is. And you don't know what we're aiming at and what we're going for. So here are the steps of the path of discipleship. Here, here, look at the card with me as I talk through these, okay? And again, this is the last week of this series. So convert to Christ. Why is that, number one? Well, we're talking about being a disciple of Christ. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you have not Trusted in him. If you have not repented of your sins and started to follow Jesus in your life, that's the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. So it starts with converting to Christ. And then after you become a Christian, baptism. Uh, And I and I want to encourage you, Lord willing, we're going to have our first two baptisms in here uh, in the month of December, the first week of December, we're going to have. Uh, our first two baptisms, and if, you're, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've never been baptized, talk to us about that. We would love for you to follow the Lord of Believers' baptism. Uh, we're going to put a horse trough up here and dunk some folks, okay? It's going to be great, uh, and, and obey the Lord's commandment to baptize people. It's going to be awesome. Uh, cannot wait to do that. And you heard that right, horse trough. That's what it's going to be. Um, secondly, commune with God. So after you become a Christian, what is, what is the most important thing you could do with your life? It's walk with God. Do you have a relationship with the living God? Do you know him? Do you deepen in your relationship with him? It is, there is nothing greater than knowing God. I'll never forget my Sunday school teacher, Celia Johnson, would always talk about her personal relationship with Jesus and I thought she was nuts until I experienced Christ for myself. There's nothing greater. He is the surpassing joy of knowing Christ. And I want you to know him and I want you to know him deeply and to walk with him in life. He wants to walk with you. So communing with God. And how do we do that? By the means of grace that he's given to us. We we get into his word. We talk to him in Prayer, the spiritual disciplines, the pathways that God has given to us, not for discipline's sake, but to experience God, to experience more of your salvation. God has given us pathways for that, to walk down those. That's a step of spiritual growth and health. Learning about God in this, under communion with God, learning about who God is and about the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, to know what you believe and why. That's all in communion with God and killing sin. What's the biggest hindrance to us knowing and experiencing a deep walk with God, Christians? It's unconfessed, unkilled sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a step in spiritual growth to not let sin abide in you. To not make peace with the things that God hates, but to love what he loves and to Hate what he hates is spiritual growth. It's under commune with God. Sin is the biggest thief to our relationship with God. Next is commit to Redemption City Church or your local church. It's a step of spiritual health and growth to commit your life to the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is Jesus' bride. He, he loves her. He is building her. He is purifying her. And and so as his followers, we are to be about the bride of Christ, committing to what his heart is committed to. Have you learned to know what God loves and And give yourself to it. So what does that look like? It looks like becoming a missional partner of a local church. And if God's moving on your heart to join this one, great. We are not the only healthy church in town. So let me encourage you, whether it's here or somewhere else, give your life to the bride of Christ. Commit to the local church. Be a healthy church member. Use your gifts as an act of worship to the Lord. Because if you're in Christ, he's given you a gift. Use it to build up his body. Financial giving to the Lord. There's no expectation in the Bible for what that percentage will be. The Lord says, give from your heart. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. It's an act of spiritual growth to be active in the community of faith. Meeting needs. When there's problems around here, what does a healthy family do? That's not my gift. Now, how unhealthy and dysfunctional would the family be to say, we all, we're not gifted at doing the dishes. So it's not, it's not a gift of mine. Your house would be funky, okay? Like you need, somebody needs to do the dishes, right? And so a healthy church family meets needs. You serve the body of Christ, helping cultivate unity in this as... as um, Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers, those who fight for unity in the family of God. Pursue unity, for they will be called sons of God, it says in Matthew 5, 9. Involved in the ministries of the church, present and active. And then you have communicate the gospel. And the act of spiritual growth is sharing the gospel with people. Are you praying for pursuing, persuading people to Jesus Christ, as we talked about last week. It's an act of spiritual growth. These are things that, are, that we can measure, that we can know. You need to find yourself on here. Where are you? Are we communicating our neighbors, or with the gospel at home, at work with our neighbors and community and world? Are we cultivating disciples? That's Today. Cultivating disciples at home in the way the Bible teaches. Listen, last week we looked at communicate the gospel, we evangelize for the purpose of conversion and discipleship. Conversion to Christ is not the end, it's the beginning. So what happens when we pray, pursue, persuade somebody and they respond to the gospel? That's not the end. That is the beginning. That is the beginning. And may God so be pleased with Redemption City Church to hear our prayers that I pray that we grow, not by church transfer growth as the primary means, but by this body of believers reaching new people with the gospel and having infant baby Christians making messes all over this place. May God so be pleased that we would reach people with the gospel and build the kingdom of God the way he intends to build it, reaching new people that are lost, that are dying apart from Christ, that are, that are not connected to God, that are not headed towards heaven at the end of our lives, to be so moved by the glory of God and by the love of neighbor that we care. And we grow that way. Let's clean up those messes together. What a glorious church life that would be. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> I love you too. Is that what he said? I don't know what he said. Let's move on. Thank you. I love you guys. Yeah. So do you <laughs> So do you have you're one that you are praying for, pursuing, and persuading. And do you know what to do with them if they respond? So, listen, I want to help you follow Jesus. I want you to have it in your heart to help me follow Jesus. And I want you to have it in your heart to help each other follow Jesus Christ. So, what is a disciple? Two points today, not long. Many of you are doubters out there. Me too. Pray for the preacher, okay? Pray for the preacher. I I don't want to be long-winded. But first one, what is a disciple? Listen, Greg Allison defines being a disciple. I probably don't need to quote him on this, but I will. He, he says a disciple is a follower of Jesus. <laughs> I looked it up. That's what it said. And discipleship, uh, disciples of Jesus, is a process by which one develops One develops as his follower. Turn to Mark chapter 3. I want you to see this. Mark chapter 3. I referenced this last week, but I want you to see it face to face. Mark chapter 3. Verse 13 through 15. I want you to see, we're called to be with Jesus Christ and then serve him. That's what I want you to see. Mark chapter 3, 13 through 15. And he, Jesus, went up the mountain and called to him, listen to this, those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Listen to me. Do you see the pattern of discipleship here? What is a disciple? First, if you're in here and you love Jesus Christ, it's because he first desired you. If you love Jesus Christ and you were worshiping him just now and you find yourself in Christ this morning, I want you to hear this personalized to you. It's first that he desired to have you amazing so disciples are those who are desired by Jesus and then the calling the primary calling and he said so that they might be with him where does this where does this come from commune with God once you convert to Christ where does that come from it comes from passages like this that the primary thing that Jesus wants from you is you he loves you he wants to be with you and we get to be with him. And I want you to see the order and then he sends us out to the world to proclaim, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and, and to push the darkness back. You see this and to, they were casting out demons. What do we do when we preach the gospel? We're taking light into this dark world and defeating the enemy's kingdom with the kingdom of Christ. What, is, what happens when you come to Jesus? You're saved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light of the Son of God. We have light to bring. But it's to be treasured by Jesus. It's to be with Jesus. It's to go proclaim Jesus and see his kingdom take over enemy territory. That's what making disciples are. And so, before you become a a disciple, the Bible is clear. Jesus wants you to count the cost. He wants you to count the cost before you follow Jesus because it's important. And what is the cost? It is your life. But I want you to see this in a new light. It is your life because when we trust Jesus, we don't trust him just as Savior. We trust him as Savior and Lord. He is our king. He is our leader. We we are to follow him. Remember the definition to follow Christ. He's the leader in this equation. But I want you to see this. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to see it for yourself. Yes, it costs you your life, but let's evaluate that for a second. Because people see that as so heavy, and I do not at all. Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 28 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples. This paragraph is so important for understanding what is a disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what does it require? It requires your death. It requires your death. And, and when you think about this, Christian, to follow Jesus, we do not do this perfectly. We do not do this perfectly, but it's like, I would rather die than lust. I would rather die than tell a lie. I would, I would rather die than dishonor God. Now, do we do that with our actions? Of course, and we will because we're not perfect. Salvation is ongoing throughout this life. Lord willing, we become more and more like Jesus, but we die to ourselves to follow Christ. But listen to me. Here's the way I read the Bible. We were already dead. Do we not know that? So what is Jesus telling us to do? Die to your death and come and find life. Die to the things that you thought were giving you joy in life, but leading you to the grave and to hell. You die to that and come and live. And so, yeah, what does it cost you? It costs you your death so that you can gain life. So, yes, church, die to your death and come and find life in Jesus Christ. That is the call of discipleship. So, yes, do we die? Yes. But to our death, because the passage continues. Read it again. Hear it again with new eyes. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, instrument of death, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So if you're in here right now, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the Christians in this room to, to buy into making disciples, but if you're in here and you're You're not a Christian. You've not decided to follow Jesus. What are you willing to forfeit your soul for? What if you gain the whole world, all the riches, all the pleasures of this world, and yet die and perish eternally? Christ is calling you out of your grave to die to your death and find life this morning. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. So die to your death so you can live. And then what does it say? Follow me, follow me. I wonder how many of us have lost our wonder at who's inviting us to follow him. I wonder how many of you have have lost the wonder at Jesus looking at you saying, come follow me. So many of us get focused on the follow part but let's focus on the me part. And the follow will happen. Do we forget that the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, the author of life, the slain but risen Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the holder of eternal life looks at you and says, come follow me. And I'll tell you, in my life, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is meeting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. When Jesus saved me as a 20-year-old man, I, I was, you could say I was like a sheep without a shepherd. I was lost. Yes, spiritually, but just kind of lost in life, purposeless. I, I was sad because I had chased, I was enslaved to my passions and pleasures, and all they did was empty my soul and filled my soul with burdens and heaviness, which I didn't know what was at the time, a guilty conscience before a holy God. I, I, I was so lost and powerless to stand against the passions and pleasures of my flesh, but then the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared in my life. He saved me not because of works done by me and righteousness but according to his own mercy washing me with the power of his regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out upon me richly through our savior Jesus Christ I was justified by grace through faith in Christ and became an heir according to the hope of eternal life that's Titus 3:3 3, 3 through 8 and it, that happened to me, and if you're in Christ, that happened to you. What is greater than being a disciple of Jesus Christ? But also, disciples of Jesus disciple others. I want you to see that. Disciples of Jesus disciple others. So secondly, how do we cultivate disciples? Again, this bears repeating. We are told to make disciples, not just be disciples disciples. And and I often think, how many Christians have lived and died and never intentionally helped people follow Jesus more faithfully? How many? How many brothers and sisters in Christ lived and died and never intentionally sought to make disciples? I don't want us to just back into it. I don't want us to just, for it to happen every once in a while. I want us to intentionally Regularly, throughout your life, make disciples. You might ask, well, what is disciple-making? Mark Devers says this in his book, Discipling. Discipling is initiating a relationship in which you teach, correct, model, and love. Discipling is initiating a relationship in which you teach, correct, model, and love. And he says it takes great humility. Mark also defines making disciples as intentionally doing spiritual good for another. And it's been said, we follow the one, Jesus. We follow the one who calls people to follow by calling people to follow. Turn to Matthew 28. On one of two major passages on the Great Commission. It's it's, uh, Matthew 28. And then Acts 1, we will not look at Acts 1 today. <clears throat> so I want you to hear this. Now, in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And we talked about that last week, that word doubted, and the Greek is hesitated. Of course they were hesitating. Jesus was about to leave them, and they knew that. And he was leaving their mission in their hands. And so they were hesitant about that. So what does he say to hesitant disciples? And I, and I would think, I would, I would venture to think many of you are hesitant to listen to this teaching and follow through. So what would Jesus say to, what did Jesus say to them who are hesitating? What would Jesus say to you who are hesitating in following him and making disciples of all nations. He says, he, in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, always. To the end of the age. So listen, it's a good thing to say Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to send you alone. I'm going to send my helper, the Holy Spirit, to fill you up. And all authority in heaven and earth are mine. And, and why would they be, be worried about that? Well, they just watched Jesus get crucified. And Jesus is saying, Go to that world and preach the gospel and do likewise. And so, yeah, they're going to be a little hes- hesitant, and so would you be. If you were standing there too. So many people have made fun of the disciples here. I'm like, no, I would be the hesitant one. But then, he has authority. He is in charge. He gives us the power of the Spirit. And then the main verb in this passage is make disciples. And then all of the other ones are participles that modify the main command to make disciples. So how do we make disciples? We go. How do we make disciples? We baptize. How do we make disciples? We teach them to observe. Make disciples is the point of the great commission. And and go is intentionality. It looks like dying to yourself and going to follow Jesus. What does it look like to teach? Well, to teach them what Jesus has commanded and, and expanding that to what the Bible says about everything. We teach them what God's will is and in and, and Colossians 2: 2, 2 Paul's why do we teach why is teaching necessary well Paul wants us he prayed for the church in Colossians 2: 2, 2 he wanted them to have full the full riches of complete understanding I'll never forget I preached at a, uh, an FCA event several years ago in Louisville Kentucky and I met a young man who was zealous for Jesus Christ there uh, it was so fun to watch him like serve the Lord and and love on the kids like the love of Jesus exude, exuded from him, but as I was talking to him about evangelism, he said something I've heard a lot in my life, uh, and I don't know if any of you believe this or not, but he said, I preach Christ and use words if necessary. And I was younger back then, okay? And I said, that is really dumb. And I'm sorry, that's not a very dignifying thing to say from the stage, but that's what I said. And I said, I commend you for embodying the gospel truth and living it out but loving those kids they're not going to hear Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ lives and offers you eternal life. We we have to communicate the gospel. They're just going to walk away and think, "Man, you're a really nice guy." And we want them to walk away saying, "I need a savior." But we also want to back up with our life our teaching and to embody the gospel, it's both. It's not either or, it is both. And, and I know this because in the Great Commission he says, teach them to observe. Teach them to observe. And, and what does that mean? It means teach them to how to obey the teachings, not just teaching them what the truth is, how do they obey and embody this? And, and there are a couple parts to this first. The gospel truth, as we talked about last week, is meant to be embodied by you. We don't want to just master how to share the gospel. We want to be mastered by the gospel. We we want it to so fill our souls that it changes who we are. And the more that we're like Christ, the more people will see and hear what being a disciple is. But also, in observing, I want you to see there's built in, there's a built-in necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in all of this. Because can you change you, much less someone else? We need God living and active in us to change and transform us and anyone that you choose to disciple or to work on their life. It has to be God. So listen. We use his words, we use scripture, but we need the Holy Spirit. We need to give ourselves to it. And here's a, the practice, some, just a very quickly, a couple practical things, then I'll apply this to our lives. But uh, I'll never forget, I was at Southern Seminary several years ago as a seminary student, probably 10 years ago now. A decade ago, okay? This isn't a short story. It's a long time ago. So I was at Southern Seminary, and David Platt showed up, and he was doing a forum in Heritage Hall on discipleship, and I'll never forget how we started. It confused me because he said, don't tell my church, but I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I was like, what? He goes, I don't know how to make a disciple. And still, I was like, why am I here? You know, And why is there a packet in my hand called How to Make a Disciple? from you. It's very confusing. But as I was reflecting on that, I think what he was trying to communicate is there is no discipleship factory that you can put people in and then out the other side, they're perfect disciples. This is not a a cut and paste repeat process. There is humility that needs to be marking every disciple maker and that we obey the Lord and what he tells us to do, but it's up to God and we need humility in this process. I don't want people walking around here pounding their chest saying, I'm the disciple makers of the church. We need humility. We need humility in this process because we all need to grow. So here's the process. We need to choose someone and this this. Uh, this happens best in life group. And Jesus, listen to me, didn't disciple everybody. It's pretty fascinating when you look at the life of Christ that he gave his three years in ministry mostly to 12 men. One was a defector. At the end of Jesus' life, many would look at him and say he's a failure because what did he do? Over 40 days, he preached the kingdom of God and appeared to about 500 people. At the end of Jesus' life, there was a very small Just a couple hundred short of the disciples in this room after Jesus left this earth. Think about that. And then think about how the kingdom of God has exploded with those 500 or so believers. It's amazing. So it starts small, and then it grows. He focused on 12. Let's focus on one. But Jesus spent heavily, most of his time, with three. Life group is set up for this, to be intentional and to pay the price as Mark Devers says, to be involved in someone's life. So here, I I want you to see, again, pick up that card of Path of Discipleship. I'm not going to go too deeply into this because we'll talk about discipleship for years to come. But quickly, I want to encourage you, how do you make a disciple? How do you help someone else follow Jesus? Help them take one step of spiritual growth this year. Help them take... Help someone take one step of spiritual growth this year, and I want you to use the card to evaluate. And here's how it would work, okay? If if in life group or in this church you you take somebody and you want to make sure that they know Jesus Christ, convert to Christ, tell me your testimony. Are you a Christian? And if they come and say, I don't have a testimony, you share the gospel with them. You're making a disciple in this place. What if this person says, yes, I'm a disciple, yes, yes, I've been baptized, okay? Do you know how to commune with God? Have you, uh, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Do you know how to kill your sin by the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's commune with God. Are you learning with God? Do you know who he is? Do you know the essential truths of the faith? Let's go through a book together. If they say, yes, I'm doing all that perfectly, that's, that's not gonna be the case. But you go to the next one. Hey, are, are you, have you joined a local church? Have you joined your church? Are you a missional partner? Are you using your gifts? Do you know what your gifts are? Are you serving the bride of Christ? Are you thriving as a church member? You walk through the card. Have you ever, who who are you trying to pray, pursue, and persuade? Who are you communicating the gospel with? Hey, are you making disciples? Do you, you find where someone is? And in life group, evaluate on the card, where am I? find yourself on the card. And when I disciple someone, I have them say, here's where I am. And I take them where they think they are and take one step of spiritual growth. Okay, you've never shared the gospel. By the end of this year, we're going to share the gospel with somebody. I'm going to help you. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to help you. uh, If it's write a letter, If it's actually talk to them, like we will share the gospel by the end of the year. Hey, you've never read your Bible faithfully, let's read the Bible together. Or here's here's how I do it. You you don't know how to pray, let's pray together. Do you see how you can find on the card how to take one step of spiritual growth? And, And my hope is that they take 10, but don't we grow more slowly than that? Don't you want to take one step of spiritual growth to be a little bit, more faithful to Jesus Christ. Find yourself on that card. Find where other people are on the card. And that's that's all I'm going to say today. But life group leaders, this is in depth. I've written in depth about this in the life group leader manual and I want you to make this a priority in your life groups. Personally helping people follow Jesus. So if you're a life group leader in here, read the manual on this part. Yes. And where should you disciple? I won't the church is designed for a discipleship place and I Made an argument for that two weeks ago. And I'll let that rest. But you can do this. So let's apply this and be done, okay? The first thing that could happen today, the best thing that could happen today is that you decide to attempt to help others follow Jesus. Listen to me. Don't forever be discipled by others. You need to start discipling at some point. Does, does that mean that you don't need people's help anymore? No. I need help. But don't primarily just be helped forever. At some point, you have to mature in your faith to adulthood where you're pouring out into others. That's the greatest thing, that you decide to do that. Those of us who have believed in God, we must be careful to devote ourselves to good works, good works that are excellent and profitable for the people of God, namely helping each other to follow Jesus a little more. Listen may, listen, may Redemption City be a church that always primarily grows because we're reaching our neighbors again. And here's a few things. I want you to think about it this way. Think family, think work, think friends, think neighbors. And parents, if you have little ones in your house, and I know you do because I'm staring at you. You're looking at me, but I'm staring at you and there's a lot of little ones in this church, They're, they should be your priority to disciple them. But then choose one outside of your home to disciple. Choose one. To pray, pursue, persuade. And parents, um, we are, we're a church of Redeemer Church, and proudly so. We're so thankful for our sending church. Our website right now is one page, because again, we're like seven weeks into our launch, okay, in, in, in this building, six months overall. So we have a one-page website, but on Redeemer Church's website, there's a parenting tab. June Jones and I spent about six years planning parenting ministry together, trying to help you parents have a comprehensive plan for how do we approach discipleship at home. Is it the end-all, be-all? No. But you can gain from that and have a plan for how to disciple, how to pray, pursue, persuade, or pray, pursue, persuade, how to read, pray, sing, and do family worship at home, how to think about what are the major steps, what are the major goals for me as a parent, what are the, what's the discipleship guide, what do I want my kid to know about God and to do in their lives? Check that out on Redeemer's website. I also want to talk to those who are weary and in need of rest. Again, you look at me and you say, Matt, I'm barely making it. To to actually have to look out for somebody else right now, I can't even bear it. Listen, you belong here. And I hope that you find the rest that you need. But listen, pay attention to the Father's lessons of comfort in this time. So that when, when I get tired, or for those who are leading in discipleship in our church get tired, you can teach them the lessons that the Father taught you in their rest so that you can get healed up and get back into the game off the bench and make disciples once again. This is a lifelong process. And there's always going to be people rejoicing and suffering here. So I don't want you to feel pressure from this stage, from me, that when you're tired and weary, that you just press, 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 stop, and rest find comfort from your savior and then share with us the lessons you've learned from his healing your soul because we need to hear them and I want you to hear that many of you will will say well I, I, I can't make a disciple because you don't know my life is a mess right now well the well what kind who would be a disciple maker if if you were only crushing it in life all the time I would not be on the stage talking to you. God intends to use weakness, not strength. That ought to be obvious to you for me being your pastor. Listen, it is, God, I, I won't embarrass myself, but it, it, it constantly amazes me that God would use someone like me to help anyone else follow Jesus. And listen to me. And it's, listen, the disciples were ordinary men. In the Master of Evangelism by Robert Coleman, he observes this. He says uh, about the disciples, they were not known spiritual leaders. None of them were Levitical priests. They were common laborers. There were no profes- they had no professional training for ministry. By any standard of sophisticated culture then and now, they would have been considered a pretty raggedy bunch. One might wonder how Jesus could ever use them. They were impulsive, temperamental, easily offended, and had all the prejudices of their environment. These men represented an average cross-section of society of their day, not the kind of group one would guess would win the world for Christ, and yet they were Christ-chosen vessels. Ordinary people like you and me. Ordinary. Not special. Chosen by God to be near him, and then to go to this lost and dying world. Listen, we must cultivate a culture of mutual discipleship at Redemption City. Here are the things I want us to do as a start. Let's have a culture of where single folks can be a part of the church families, right? The single people in our church, bring them into your family. So they're not off on an island. That's a culture of discipleship. Culture of discipleship is showing hospitality to one another. Bring people over to your house to do life with you. Older men and women taking an interest in the younger generation. Share your life. You're not too, if anyone's out there saying, I'm too old, no, you're not. We need to hear from you. We counsel one another. We help each other through life's greatest challenges. We commit to each other in life groups. We rejoice with one another, suffer with one another. We live and die together. What a beautiful calling we have. Listen, where's all this headed? To what end? You may ask, are we doing all of this? Colossians 1, 28 and 29 says this, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Listen, why am I calling you to labor and toil to this way? Because we want to present other people to Jesus Christ. Mature. I'll finish this morning's sermon with a snippet. Listen, try to follow this. It's a snippet from Mark Dever's book on discipling, but he's quoting Spurgeon, who's quoting Pilgrim's Progress. Okay? I've done my due diligence, okay? That's what happens. That's what, that's, that's what I'm quoting here. It's what he says. He says in Spurgeon's autobiography, he compares himself to Mr. Great Heart. The character in john Bunyan 's Pilgrim Progress, who helps others toward the celestial city or heaven here 's what Spurgeon said. I am occupied in in my small way as Mr. Greatheart was employed in Bunyan 's day. I do not compare myself with that great champion, but I am in the same line of business. I am engaged in personally conducted tours of heaven. It is my business as best I can to kill dragons and to cut off giants' heads and to lead on the timid and the trembling. I am often afraid of losing some of the weaklings. I have the heartache for them, but by God's grace and your kind and generous help in looking after one another, I hope we shall all travel safely to the river's edge. And in the Pilgrim's Progress, that's death, when we cross that final river before the celestial city. Oh, oh, Spurgeon says, many have I had to part with there. I have stood on the brink, and I have heard them singing in the midst of the stream, and I have almost seen the shining ones lead them up the hill through the gates in the celestial city. Catch a vision for helping one another to heaven. Because we all have a great trial ahead of us, and we will all have to face the final challenge of death. And don't you want to be singing in the midst of that river? Don't you want to be singing in the midst of that river of death? Listen, that starts today of learning how to follow Jesus and caring for one another in the church. May God be so pleased. Let's pray. God, we come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ. We give you great glory in the church. You are the head of the church. You are the foundation of the church. We are your body. And and Jesus, if we are to follow you, I know that you would lead us into disciple making. I know that you would lead us to one another, caring for one another. It seems like such a big and scary endeavor, but Lord, it's just... Helping each other follow you more closely. And Jesus, I want to give you praise because we are not saved by this work. We are saved for this work. And I want to praise you that you have have earned our salvation for us, Jesus Christ, that you are the one who is slain for the salvation of all. And so, God, I, I pray right now that if there's anyone in this building that has yet to follow you, to deny themselves, to pick up their cross and follow you. I pray that they die to their death today by turning from their sins and looking to you, Jesus Christ, to save them and then to just cling to you as you lead us to one another and to this world. God, be so pleased to use this place and this people to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. My brothers and sister are going to pass out uh, communion right now. So go ahead, as I explain. Go ahead and start passing it. So uh, twice a month. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Bushman. I appreciate it. Listen, this is one of the Lord's ordinances. This is for believers only. So please, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, please do not partake of this. The greatest thing you could do if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ is to... Stare at the elements and see Jesus' love for you. This represents his body broken for your sins. This, This represents his blood that he spilled out for the remission of your sins. Jesus Christ desires you. And if you're holding these elements as a believer, it's because Jesus has desired you that you find yourself an heir of heaven this morning. So we prepare our hearts to to partake, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a beautiful thing. And I'll hold on to these until the end of the song that we're going to sing, and we'll take it together. Because not only as believers are we, does this symbolize our union with Christ, that when we take this together, we are saying we are bonded together as the family of God, the one body of Christ. So that's why we wait and take it together. It's a beautiful picture. And so please sing, worship, prepare your hearts. If you have sin to confess, confess it. If you just want to cry out to God and worship, do that. And then we'll take communion together after. Mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvin